Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Have you ever needed a genuine miracle? Not a gentle touch, not just a feel-good moment, not not just a time where you stand in service and get the frissons, but a true God-given, heaven-sent answer to prayer. Have you ever needed one of those? Have you, ever, have you ever needed one of those and you've been praying for other people and while you were praying for them, you were watching them get their prayers answered? You were watching God change their mates or, or give them a better situation that they needed or, or bring their child back home and, and you just stood there kind of like waiting? Maybe you're waiting for a mate. How many of you are waiting for a mate? Raise your hand. But then you need to hear the other hand of this. How many of you are waiting for God to change your mate? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Pastor Don's too busy. He didn't need to do all that counseling. The sewage was backed up. We don't need any more backed up sewage in this house. Maybe, maybe you're waiting for God to bring a prodigal home. Maybe you're waiting for an answer to prayer for a loved one, a, a brother, a sister, a family friend. Maybe you want someone to be freed from addiction that's bound. And, and you see other people who've come out of that situation and you go, man, if, if, if they would just let God do in them what happened in you, it would be amazing. Well, what do you do when you're waiting? Like, like what do you do when you're waiting? Michelle and I have been married 41 years in about 36 or 7 days and and I can tell you, I mean, today, three of our children are preaching the gospel. Okay, our fourth one, is, well, actually four of our five living children are, are in ministry today, preaching the gospel. And, and the other one's halfway back. He's almost through building his testimony. How many got some building their testimony? Raise your hand. Yeah. And, and, and like, like one preacher said about all prayer and God answers, he, he's slow, but he's show. Some, sometimes it takes a while, but, but what do you do in those waiting moments? As someone who's walked with God almost 50 years, I can tell you, I saw our children where they are right now. Michelle and I did when they were born. But man, it took a lot to get them here. It took stretch marks here to give birth here and to get them where they need to go here. What do you do when you're waiting? Our story today begins and merges misery and the miraculous, waiting and wonder, hopelessness and healing, all up into one big, amazing story. We're going to start today in Mark chapter 5, and, and we're going to learn about what you do in the waiting. What you do in the waiting. In Mark chapter 5, we pick up the last part of an amazing story. Michelle and I just got back from Israel. We were there six weeks ago. And, and in this area, Gennesaret, there, there was a man called a Gadarene demoniac. We, we don't know his story, how he got to where he is. We simply know that by the time he reached some sort of maturity, he was simply known 
is the naked gathering man who hung out in the graveyard. No one could chain him. They put chains on him and he broke them. Obviously, they tried to clothe him. Usually, just like every one of the mass shooters or people that do some heinous thing, usually when you start pulling back all of the layers of what happened, you see someone who was abused and neglected. It's been said that hurt people hurt people. It's usually people that have been deeply hurt in their upbringing that later on want to express all that hurt and anger somewhere else. Well, we don't know how he got there. We simply know that he came to a place in his life where literally he was identified by his affliction. He was identified by the fact that he was naked. He was identified by the fact that he couldn't be chained. You know what nakedness is? Nakedness is when you're showing people publicly what nobody but people in private should see. You can't keep your temper. You can't keep your mouth. You're controlled by your addictions. That there are things that, that should not be exposed, should be hidden, that you're exposing in public because there are things in your life that are out of control. And Jesus comes to town. And Jesus meets this gathering demoniac and, and he comes to him and the demons are about to come out of him and the demons yell and say, please, please send us away. Don't send us into the abyss back to hell. Send us into these pigs over there. And there were a thousand pigs. Now, as I said, we just got back from Israel. I could tell you Jews do not eat pork, period. There are many unclean animals you can go and look and see in the Levitical law, but the pig is at the top of them. And so Jesus cast all of these demons into a thousand pigs and the pigs go and create Buddha and crackling. Come on, that devil tastes good when you eat it, but it'll kill you when you swallow it. Come on, that best stop has got some demons. Billy got some demons. And, and he casts him into the pigs and the pigs run off into the water. And I don't know how much a thousand pigs were worth, but someone lost their entire herd of pigs. The gathering demoniac gets free. He gets dressed. He gets a bath. The old chains are cut off of him. And he's sitting in Bible study with Jesus while we pick up the story. And in Mark chapter five, verse 15, it says, and when they found Jesus, they saw Naked boy, the demonized man, and he was sitting, what? Sitting there. Remember, no one could control him with chains. Now he's sitting. He is properly clothed and in his right mind, in his right mind. Seeing what happened to the man that was possessed by demons, the people became, oh, wait a minute, What? So in other words, they weren't scared of naked demon boy, but they were scared of clothed Bible study with his journal out, writing down the scripture boy. How many of you know people, they liked you the way you were before you got saved? When all the demons came out of you during the sugar cane festival. And those who had witnessed the miracle reported the news to the people, including what happened to the pigs. And then, read this with me. 
To what? You mean the boy that has been terrified all of his life and tormented and tormented everyone, tormented his family, his grandparents, his aunts, his uncles. Finally, their prayers are answered. And he's not tortured. He's not tormenting others. There's now a part of town where you couldn't even bring your kids because naked man came running out with demons speaking out of him. And now you can walk through that area. You can go to the graveyard and go and visit Mama and Papa or whoever is buried. And now you're afraid that he's normal. So you're so afraid that he's normal that you want the person that cast the demons out of him and got him right. You want him? You want him to leave. Have you ever been good to people and then they rejected you? Have you ever done the best you can to help people and find out that their response is, I don't like you. Get out of here. At that point, it says, and Jesus began to get in the boat to depart. And the man who had been set free from all the demons said, can I go with you? Jesus answered, no. Since you've gone through freedom, go back home. (laughs) Tell your family of all the things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So the man left and went to the region of Jordan and parts of Syria to tell everyone he met about what Jesus had done for him. And all the people marveled. And Jesus returned from across the lake and a huge crowd of people, what? Quickly gathered around him at the shoreline. Then just then a man saw that it was Jesus, and he pushed through the crowd. He did what? And he threw himself down at the feet of Jesus, and his name was Jairus. And he was a Jewish official in charge of a local Jewish synagogue, the church. And he pleaded with Jesus, saying over and over, please come with me, please come with me, please come with me. My little daughter is at the point of... This is time sensitive. She's in intensive care. She doesn't have days. She doesn't have hours. She has minutes... Come, and she will live. And immediately Jesus went with him, and a huge crowd followed, and they were pressing in on him from from all sides. How many of you have ever been to a Saints game? Back when they used to win. <laughs> you, you ever been to a Saints game? Okay, and, and, and just you trying to go in there, and you go, and, and just people are pressing all over you. This is the picture. Now the crowd that day, in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under the care of various doctors, yet in spite of spending all she had on treatment, she kept getting worse instead of better. And when she heard that Jesus had healing power, she pushed through the crowd and came up from behind him and touched his Prayer shawl. I'm going to show you that in just a moment. For she kept saying, she kept saying, she kept saying to her, let me say, she kept saying to, she kept to, she kept to, if only I could touch his clothes, 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 I know I would be immediately healed. And as soon as her hand touched him, 
Her bleeding immediately stopped. She knew it, for she could feel her body instantly being healed of her disease. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been healed before? How many of you knew at the moment? You, you, you know how we're in worship and we're in worship, your hands are lifted and you, you get the free songs. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you don't know what free songs are? Okay, that's a new sermon series Pastor Donald preached next week. Free songs one, free songs two. It, it's a Cajun word for chicken skin, goosebumps. When, when you're in worship and you feel the presence of God, you know what that is? That's a little preview of what heaven's going to be like. So can I say something to some of you who don't know what to do in worship? What are you going to do when you get to heaven? And he, the presence of God was there. It was emanating from Jesus. And she reached out. And even though thousands of people were touching him, only one person touched him. That's probably one of the greatest mysteries to me of being in ministry for almost 50 years. Is you're preaching a message that you believe is from God, from God's word. And you preach it and then somebody walks out and goes, that's exactly, it changed my life. And somebody else goes, I was all right. Because when your heart is right and you're desperate and you want it, God will speak to you every time you're open to hear. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him, for he felt power that surged through him always. It passed through him for someone to be healed. And he turned and spoke to the crowd saying, who touched my clothes? Now, I've talked to people that have had miraculous healings over the years. You know what most of them say? I felt heat going through my whole body. How many of you felt heat going through your body? Other people have said, it felt like I got struck by lightning. I, I, just, just, I knew God was touching me. His disciples answered, Lord, what do you mean who touched you? Look at the huge crowd around you. They're all pressing up against you. You know what I love about the disciples? They never got it. <laughs> Ever. They were in church every day and never got it. But Jesus' eyes swept through the crowd. They're all pressing up against you. But Jesus, his eyes swept through the crowd, looking for one who had touched him and received healing. And when the woman who experienced the miracle realized what had happened to her, she came and she was trembling with fear. And she threw herself down on his feet saying, I, I'm the one that touched you. And she told him her story of what had happened. And Jesus said to her, say this real loud with me. What did he say? Daughter. Because you dared to, your has healed you. Go with in your heart and be free from your suffering. And before he had finished, finished, the people arrived. Remember, they were on their way to Jairus' house. His daughter's about to die. She's in her last moments. Said, there's no need to trouble the master any longer. Your daughter is dead. But Jesus refused to listen to what they were told. Listen carefully. If you're going to follow God and obey this word and walk in this spiritual family, there's some people you're going to have to refuse to listen to. It's not that they're bad, they're just blind. It's not that they're bad, they're just blind. 
Your daughters died. Jesus refused to listen to what they were told. And he said to the Jewish official, what all of us need to say while we're waiting for a miracle, don't yield to fear. All you need to, who is what? Keep on believing. So they left for his home. But Jesus didn't allow anyone to go with him except Peter and his two brothers. Now, don't you know that aggravated the disciples? How, how would you like to be one of the 12? And every time you get ready to go somewhere, Jesus goes, Peter and John, you come with me. The rest of you guys stay over there. It's like, why is it Peter, James, and John? I mean, whoa, it's all Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John. Peter, what about me? And when they arrived at the house, the home of the synagogue ruler, they entered in and there was a noisy uproar from among the people for all the people were weeping and wailing because the girl just died. Upon entering the home, Jesus said to them, why is this all this grief and weeping? Don't you know that the girl is, but merely asleep. Then everyone began to ridicule and make fun of him. Isn't it amazing? They went from weeping to hating just like that. But Jesus threw them all outside. And the Greek word here, threw them out, is the Greek word ikbalo. That was the word that was used when they would take and the Olympians would throw a javelin. So he didn't say, I'm sorry, you know, this service is not for you. He went, get out! So sometimes you've got to look at some people and say, Okay, don't look at them now as they're in service. Just wait till later. Then he took the child's father and mother and the three disciples and they went in the room and he tenderly clasped the girl's hand and said to her in Aramaic, something. (laughs) Which means little girl or little lamb, wake up from the sleep of death. And instantly the 12 year old girl sat up, stood to her feet and started walking around the room and Kurt Franklin started singing, let's get this party started. Let's get, ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. (laughs) What an amazing story. Our story begins in this chapter. Remember, the Bible is written in chapter and verse. For us, later, it was identified by chapter and verse. It was never written in chapter and verse. So Jesus didn't say, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, verse 17. So they wrote it down, broke it down like that when it was recorded so that we could readily access it. So all of these stories that I'm talking to you about blend in together. And right after Jesus does this miracle. Now remember, what happened to him when he cast the demons out? What did they say? Leave. But as soon as he left, he went there and somebody else was waiting on him. And he does two miracles. We're going to talk about those two miracles. And then he goes in chapter 6 to his hometown. What was its name? Nazareth. Michelle and I were just in Nazareth. There in his hometown. And then what happened to him there? What did they do? Rejected him. Rejected him. So he goes from rejected for doing a miracle, 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 loved, accepted, rejected. Now here's what's so powerful about this. Look at me. The enemy always wants to wound you where God wants to use you. 
Many of you have a ministry of compassion helping people, but you've helped people and then they've stabbed you in the back. And you know what you said? I'm never helping anybody else again. And the enemy said, I won. Now, once you listen carefully, I'm going to tell you. This is not the words of a young man. This is the words of an old man who's watched it happen to him many times. I didn't get this when I was a young Christian. It took me about 30 or 40 years to get what I'm going to tell you. I can't tell you how many people that Michelle and I, Pastor Don and Kayla, how we've invested in. We helped them in their crisis. Their world was on fire. Their family was falling apart. And we put on asbestos suits and a fire extinguisher and went in and ministered to them, put the fire out, the flames out, helped them, restored them. Their kids came back from all of it. And one day they get offended over one little thing. And you see them now and they don't even talk to you. Can I tell you what the Lord showed me? It took me a long time to get what I'm telling you. And the Lord said, Jacob, did you do it for me or did you do it for them? Because if you did it for them, your reward comes from them. But if you did it for me, you can sow in one field and reap in another. You know what you have to do in those moments. You got to shake it off. You got to shake it off. If you don't, then the enemy and his plan is always the same. Now, y'all don't know this. I'm going to let you in on some Aranza insight. See these glasses right here? My wife hates these glasses. And, and I bought them at Lens Crafters. They were expensive. And I got scratch resistant frames. And lenses, lens crafters lying. I mean, within a few months, I got scratched. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, we'll talk to a lawyer after this service. The board earls, my lens craft. <laughs> and, and, and I have these other glasses that are nice. They're kind of round, cool glasses. And I look smart when I wear them. Kind of glasses, you look like somebody would be going... But, but these glasses are scratched, so even though I see you, there are parts of you that, that are distorted because of the scratches on these glasses. And the enemy's plan is to wound you at a place in your life where God wants to use you. So from that point on, you see everyone through the wound. God can use you with scars, but he can't use you with wounds. He can't use you with wounds. And you got to shake it off of you. Jesus told the disciples, go into cities, heal the sick, cast out demons, just like he did. And he said, and if they reject you, when you leave the city, walk outside the city and do what? I remember they had sandals. Everything was dusty. It's very mountainous, sandy. Shake the dust. Why did he say shake the dust off? You know what we were made out of? What were we made out of? God breathed into the dust of the earth and he made you and me. And listen, the enemy's plan is to get rejection to stick to you. And if you don't shake it off, if Jesus didn't shake that off from the gathering demoniac, then there would have never been the woman with the issue of blood. There never would have been Jairus' daughter, even though he goes into his own hometown and the Bible says he couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. I don't know who this is for 
I think it's for a lot of us. But some of you have been really hurt by people you tried to help. And in your mind and in your mouth, you made a vow. I'm never going to trust them again. I'm never going to trust like that again. Let me remind you of something I've told you before. All people are going to hurt you. You just have to decide who's worth hurting for. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, how many of you are married? (laughs) Secondly, how many of you have children? (laughs) Of course. Of course. And let me give you one better than that. How many of you have done stupid things to yourself? So other people have hurt you. People you love have hurt you. Your children have hurt you. And you've hurt yourself. Conclusion, all of us are going to hurt. But there's something worse. Hurting because you refuse to let anybody love you or to love anybody else. We have six children We have hurt at different times for all six of them. But they're worth hurting for. I'm so glad that my sin, which nailed Jesus to the cross, that he hurt for, didn't keep him from loving and forgiving and wanting to be with me. This woman with an issue shows us what to do when we walk through our issues waiting for a miracle. The first thing that we know that she did is she pushed through. Say that. that the woman had been bleeding for 12 years. She probably weighed 80 or 90 pounds. She spent everything that she had The story says that she came up from the back of Jesus. No matter how weak she was, she pushed through men probably five or six times her size. And she pushed through them to get to Jesus. When I was growing up, my spiritual grandfather, Pastor Keith, many of you remember back in the day who came here in the late 70s. And then ultimately sent me here to Lafayette in 1979. He always pastored with his father-in-law who started churches. He was a church planter, horse and buggy. Outside Waco, Texas. In Waco, outside the surrounding area, Mahia, Grosbeck, West, those of you who know that area. If it rained, the farmers couldn't come in because they came in on horse and buggy. Their beds were apple crates. That's what they slept on. If the farmers didn't come in because it rained, you didn't get an offering. That means you didn't eat. So many times an offering was, here's some corn that we've harvested. Here's some grain. Here's some meat from a cow that we slaughtered. And that man, Papa Weathers, who was an Assemblies of God preacher for 60 years, was like a grandfather to me from the time I was 14 years old. And he used to tell me this all the time. Jacob, persistence is greater than genius. And then he'd look at me and say, and son, you're no genius. (laughs) Look at me. The first thing as a child of God, we must understand is we got to keep pushing through. 
You can't stop. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. They shall be filled. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open. Ask and it'll be given. It's the persistent knocking, the persistent seeking, the persistent asking. I don't know God's timetable. I just know he answers. I just know he answers. Hebrews 10.36 says, you need to say it loud. So when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Listen to someone who's been a Christian almost 50 years. There's times where you just keep obeying God and keep obeying God and keep persisting and keep knocking and keep asking. And I don't know why it takes the length of time that it does. I just know this. Anybody ever prayed for their children? Raise your hand. How many of you ever prayed God to change your children? Raise your hand. And you're praying, God, change your kids. And God's going, be patient. You're going, Lord, no, it's not me that needs to change. It's them that needs to change. Lord, talk to them. Get your temper under control. Lord, it's not my temper. God, why do I keep praying for you to change them? And all you keep telling me is you want to change me. God gives you the children you need to help fulfill their destiny and encourage your prayer life. Here's the second thing she kept saying to herself. If I can touch even his clothes, I will be healed. Listen to me. Faith not only talks to God, faith talks to itself. Faith talks to itself. All the people that touched him, but only one person was saying, if I can but touch. And she actually ends up touching his Shaw, I'm going to show you that here in just a moment. My friend, Dr. Darius Daniels, who we love to hear, says it like this. It's not what happens to you. It's the story you tell yourself. Look right here. There's some of you that have been abused as a child. I'm so sorry. And God wept too. But it's not just what happened to you. It's the story you keep telling yourself. That's what I deserve. That's always going to happen to me. People are always going to take advantage of me. Or it can be, God's going to heal me in this area, and I'm going to reach out and help other people that are broken just like me to know they can be healed too. It's not what happens to you. It's the story that you tell yourself. I didn't have a father. Was the story I used to tell myself. First scripture my spiritual father taught me is when your father and mother forsake you, I, the Lord, will take you up. So I went from not having an earthly father I could count on to a heavenly father who would never leave me or forsake me. It's not what happens to you. It's the story you tell yourself. She kept saying to herself, if only I could touch him. Faith talks to itself. It talks to itself. Here's the third thing. She touched his prayer shawl. Now I want to show you what that looks like. In Israel, when we were there, that's the other, the other slide. There you go. See that right there? That's a prayer shawl. And Michelle and I were there on uh, Shabbat, their Sabbath. Starts Friday night at sundown. And, and you see, we went to a Shabbat meal. All of these men with these prayer shawls. 
And they're praying over each one of their children. We're at a large uh, hotel restaurant where they did a big Shabbat meal. And you see all of these families and these fathers there and their heads are covered. And they, they serve a set element of communion. And then they pray over every one of the children, lays their head on the father's chest. And he prays over them and blesses them. And they go and get parts of their meal. And that continues all through the evening. That is a prayer shawl. Here's what Jesus was wearing, and she was saying, if I could just touch that. I I don't have to touch him. If I can just touch his prayer shawl. Prayer always touches Jesus. But what's amazing, Leviticus 15, 25, this woman had been bleeding for how many years? Do you know the Bible says in Leviticus 15, 25, that if a woman is bleeding, she's unclean and she can't touch anyone. During her cycle, she was forbidden to touch anyone. So for 12 years, this woman couldn't touch anyone. But Jesus touched her. She couldn't touch anyone. Prayer always touches the heart of God. It doesn't matter how big. It doesn't matter how long. It just matters the sincerity and the very cry. Her prayer was simply reaching out and a touch. Here's the fourth thing. She had prayer and the promises of God. Let me show you. The prayer shawl is called the tallit. Now let me show you what was on the end of those. See this thing? That represents, watch this, I'm going to read it to you. The word and the promises of God. Numbers 15, 38. Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make what? Tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. And put a blue thread in the tassels on the corner. And you shall have the tassels that you may. And remember what? The commandments of the Lord your God to do them that you may not follow the harlotry of which your own heart and your eyes are inclined, that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy for your God. Look at me. This isn't a good luck charm. Like, this isn't like, this is my holy grigri juice. I have one at the opening. of the, This is a life manual to be read. And look at me, it's important. You need to be in the Word every day. But being in the Word every day doesn't ever replace meeting God every day. This is, this is the commands. This is the commands. This is the rules. But it's not the relationship. You need them both. Now I might get some of you in trouble here, man, but let me ask you a question. How many of you have been married a long time? Raise your hand. We don't need to ask dates, just a long time. Okay, how many have been married at least a few years? Raise your hand. Okay, that wasn't many hands. How many married? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know right now while I talk to you where your marriage license is? Okay, how many of you men like me don't have a clue? Okay, now I'm going to ask you another question. No, not, not good or bad, just a question. How many of you have kissed your marriage license lately? Y'all mad at it? (laughs) First of all, I don't know where our marriage license is. Okay. Matter of fact, on January the 15th, 1983, when we got married, 
Not 82, baby. 83. When we got married, okay, I, I don't know that I've ever seen the marriage license since the day that I signed it. I don't kiss the marriage license every day, but I do kiss that Cajun princess every day. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say and not to what I'm not saying. Sometimes we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Bible. I love this word. I read the whole New Testament the first two weeks I was a Christian. I've memorized a lot of this word. But reading the Bible isn't a good luck charm. It is a manual that should drive me to my knees to meet the very God of this Bible every single day. You need relationship. I need relationship with God. Each of us need relationship with God. She grabbed a hold of the promises of God. When she saw Jesus, she reached out and she grabbed that blue tassel. And let me just tell you this. Look right here. All of our children but one are walking in their destiny right now. But for most of them, I didn't see them. All I had was the blue tassel of the presence of God and the promises of God that I wasn't turning loose of until what I saw with my eyes matched what this book said. What happened to my children? It's interesting in our story, both of these people got a miracle. What did Jairus get? He got who back? He got his daughter back. But do you know the woman got a greater miracle? She got a greater miracle. Because for years she was known like the gathering demoniac as the naked man who was unchained. The first thing Jesus said to her was, Say it loud. He didn't say woman with an issue of blood. He didn't say you who are infirmed. She had been known by her infirmity all of her life. She not only got a miracle of healing, she got a privilege of no longer being known by her infirmity because she just got a brand new identity. You know what that identity was? What, What did he say to her? Daughter, daughter, daughter. I don't know how old she was. I don't know if she was 30 or 40 or 50. I don't know. None of us. The Bible doesn't tell us. It simply says she had this for 12 years. We don't know if it started when her cycle started, when she was 12 or 13. We don't know. But here's what we do now. Every year, when Passover would come, every time when there was one of the many high celebrations and festivals that the Jewish people have, she'd gather her children and grandchildren around and say, did I ever tell you the story of when Messiah called me daughter? He didn't call me by my sickness. He didn't call me by my infirmity. He didn't call me by my... He called me daughter. He called me daughter. You know what's amazing? Sometimes people just want a miracle from Jesus. They don't want a relationship with Jesus. 
Sometimes they are in the situation they're in and they wonder why am I always in a painful situation? Look right here. If the only time you ever see God is when you're in crisis, God loves you enough to keep you in one. He loves you enough to keep you in one. She became a daughter. She got something greater than a healing. The greatest miracle God ever performs is not when he opens blind eyes. It's not when he makes people who are lame walk. It's not even when he raises people from the physically dead. It's when he finds someone who's dead and lost in sin and marred and scarred by sin in their own choices in their family of origin. And he takes them right out of Koto. Come on, don't act like nobody lives in Koto. He takes them right out of Delcom off a shrimp boat with their white boots. He takes you out of generations of immorality and addiction and he pulls you up and he raises you from the spiritually dead and he washes you in his blood and he fills you with the power of the Holy Spirit and he fills you with the message of hope and then he says, daughter, I, I don't know why, but people have told me that I'm intimidating. I think they're just afraid of Mexicans. <laughs> Can I tell you who's not intimidated? My children. They just walk in the house and go, you're intimidated by my daddy? Daddy, daddy, come see. God wants to give you and me a new identity. Born again, blood washed, spirit filled, daughter and son of the living God. What do children have in their identity that other people don't have? They have access. They have access. I don't care if you're the president or if you're a police juror living in a double wide. Your kids come walking in. Daddy, what y'all doing? How many of you got children just walk in a room? They don't even care when it is. Raise your hand. We had six children. In order for me and Michelle to kiss, we had to lock the door, put two alarms outside there. I mean, why? Because children have access. You and I have access to the throne of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 14, 6, Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, where we obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. Whenever we say, Father, he says, yes. Yes. You ever been at a baseball field or some sports area, and all of a sudden you hear somebody go, Daddy! Like 50 men turn around. But there's one daddy that knows that voice. They have access. Here's the second thing they have. They have authority. Sons and daughters have authority. They have authority. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I'm giving it to you. Go preach the gospel. You have authority. And here's the third thing that you get. And this is so precious. Those of you who were at Freedom last night, you know. You get an anointing. You, you know, 
When you anointed a body in the Old Testament, you took all of these spices and you put them all over people so that they smelled good. Okay? Do you know what happens when you get your anointing? When you get, as a child of God, you start smelling like Jesus. You start smelling like, why do you do that? I encourage the Lafayette campus, I want to encourage y'all to do this for Christmas. Just start blowing some people's minds. God's blessed you a little bit when you're standing in line. You see a poor family in front of you paying for gas. Fill their gas tank up. Why did you do that? Yeah. You see somebody checking out groceries and they look broke. Just step up in front of them and go, I got this. Why are you doing that? Him. Him. Jesus said, when you do it under the least of these, my children, you've done it to me. You know why he said least? We, you all help your friends. They'll help you. You help your family. They'll help you. You help your neighbor. They'll help you. But when you help people that can't do anything back for you, then you're not doing it for them. You're only doing it for him because he loves them. Some people don't know how much he loves them. This woman didn't know when she touched him. She came for a healing, but she got so much more. She got a father, daughter, daughter. This miracle that you're receiving of being healed is simply a down payment on what you're going to receive for eternity. Enjoy it till you see me face to face again. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Many years ago, one of my writing mentors said the task of the modern day church is to rescue Jesus from modern day Christianity. You know why? Because there's a lot of people that represent Jesus that don't smell like him. The anointing makes you smell like him and become like him. Would you bow with me right now? Would you just lay the palms of your hands open on your lap? Heavenly Father, we come today. Your daughters and your sons because we have access, because you said boldly come, because no healthy child is ever afraid of coming to a loving father, because we have authority. You've given us your name, your name, your name. And then you've made us to smell like you. The aroma of Christ. The aroma of Christ. The aroma of Christ. Lord, what, what New Iberia needs is not our Savior's church or another building. They need the aroma of Christ flowing throughout this region. That when we gather together, people walk in and diffusers of the Holy Spirit are giving off the aroma of Christ to take to all of this surrounding region. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us. Fill us. We, your sons and daughters, want to be filled with you to accurately represent you and bring forth the aroma of Christ, the authority of Christ. 
now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus said to a religious man named Nicodemus in John 3, 3, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. What's born of flesh is flesh, but what's born of the spirit is of the spirit. You say, pastor, what does it mean to be born again? Adam and Eve, when they ate of the tree in the garden, God told them the day they did, they would surely die. They didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. The Bible tells us that God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. You and I were born spiritually dead. So our first step to knowing God is to turn to him. That's called repentance because we're turning away from everything else but him. And by faith, receiving him as our Lord and Savior as we turn away from sin. You say, Pastor, how does that start? A, by admitting that we're sinners. B, by believing that Jesus Christ became our sin bearer and he died for our sin so we didn't have to die with our sin. Someone will die for your sin, either he did or you will. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. So if you're here today and you go, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Pastor, would you pray for me today? I've never prayed to be born again. Would you pray for me? I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if that's you, would you just lift your hand high and put it back down? I'm just going to pray for you right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm the only one looking. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. God's worked every situation, even the ones of the last few weeks, because he's speaking to you. He's calling you with his great love. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. Yes, one, two, anywhere else. Lift it high. Three, yes, four, five, anywhere else, six. All right. Last 10 seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these six people, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I don't know why I've been afraid. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I've never been born again. I know you're talking to me. Raise your hand and wave it at me. If you didn't raise your hand, wave it. I'm asking this last time for you. I'm asking this last time for you. Yes, I see that. Yes. Okay, now church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raise your hand to be born again. We're going to join you in praying this prayer of repentance to receive Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, in a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name, amen.